1: Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable free discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt?
2: Well, it's churlish of me to do this, but since you've just stepped on a landmine there, you're one of our loaf-focused?
1: Yeah, I'm very, I'm very low to the ground. I'm very short. It do happens. you focus on loafs? Yes. Like,
2: okay. Yeah, because I I myself have like a nice rye or a or a multi grain. Those are those are some nice breads. So Pum- yeah, pumpernickel for,
1: pumpernickel for me. Pumpernickel. One day we'll have pumpernickel watch. It'll be fine.
2: <laughs> See, I don't know if pumpernickel watch happens, it's going to be having a fight with with pumpkin watch. So <laughs> I've actually I've
1: had pumpkin bread and it isn't bad. I like pumpkin bread a lot actually. Uh, but that's not why you're here, folks. We will talk about pumpkin bread at some point. If I'm if sure. it
2: is why you're here, then you should let us know because yeah. we have not been delivering
1: that content in the slightest. <laughs> But one day we'll, we will write the magnum opus about how the Alliance and the Horde come to peace over Pumpkin Bread, because it'll happen over Pumpkin Bread. We're here to answer your questions, though, and we do have a s- several questions uh that you have sent us over the last couple weeks. Thank you very much for sending those in. Uh We're going to be getting to those. If you do have questions for this podcast or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can go ahead and also shoot them in our Discord channel to us. Uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and toss them to our paid queue and podcast questions channel. Uh, we do look there first to give our patrons sort of a uh, an a unofficial thank you. Well, it's an official thank you. What am I saying? Uh, it's an official thank you for supporting us and keeping the lights on. Uh, and then if you can't support us on Patreon, we understand that. And You don't want to do email. You still want to do Discord. We have a queue questions channel. You can throw those in there. We'll look there as well. Just specify what... Ch- Which of the podcasts, since we do have three of them now, you are sending it in for and also if you have a special pronunciation of your name, uh, if you're giving us a character name so that I can make sure that I pronounce it correctly, unless your name is Razorbug, then I'm going to keep calling you Razorberg. Because that's just a thing that happens now. Uh, but without further ado, our first question comes from uh, Chorl. Well, at least I hope that's what it's pronounced. There was no phonetic spelling. Uh, Shadowlands never pulled me in because of uh, of a- afterlives. The four we saw were more utilitarian and existed as cogs to a machine. The souls trapped in them to feed it. Honestly, it made all the afterlives feel a little morbid. Do you share any misgivings in how they presented the afterlives in Warcraft? I do think showing more afterlife would. We talked about this a little bit a while ago i i liked the afterlives but you you it's it's a tricky balance right how much do you show and also
2: i'm gonna i'm gonna just point out right now that i find that an interesting way to complain to call it these these afterlives feel morbid
1: because we are dead yes
2: yes we're dead (laughs) what are you looking for man it's it's like it's like going to like a halloween party like everybody's wearing costumes yeah that's that is part of the deal but I, I understand, for me, the morbidity isn't the issue, but it there is a lot of regimentation yeah. in a couple of these afterlives, uh, and there's definitely room to discuss that.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that's part of the balancing act, too, right? And, and Matt, Matt kind of got to the point that I was going to get to as well, which is, we are in the land of the dead. You are dead. There is a certain amount of morbidity that you kind of have to expect, but I think that they were all presented in a very uh, rigid, I, I think, might be a little too harsh, but it's definitely closest. It, it, like the original manner of like everything has to follow the same formula and it felt a little more i guess formulaic than when we did the warbringers warbringers felt a little more emotional these were far less emotional except for in my opinion um my my big my, my big bear boy uh when they did that one that was that was sad but otherwise ursak yeah. ursak thank you uh but yeah so what do you think about the regimentation of it? What 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 do you think made them feel a little bit different than the other shorts that we had before?
2: Honestly, uh, one thing I've been thinking since, since this expansion started is that the writing team did a lot of research on world mythology and world uh, myths about death, dying in the afterlife, a lot more so than the audience for the game. And as a result... I'm trying to find a way to say this without making it sound like I'm telling people to go read a book, but quite frankly, you know, Hey, any bad an idea, go ahead, go read some books. They're fun. Um, there's a, like the idea of Egyptian, like for the, the Egyptian scales of the dead, where they weighed your soul against mm-hmm. a feather. And if you were, he- if your soul, like if your heart was heavier with sin than that, not sin, but you know, if, if your heart was, was heavier than the feather, you got eaten by, mo- by the like, crocodiles for eternity. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of that aspect of, you will be weighed, you will be measured, you will be put in the place you belong is a, is a big deal of a lot of mythological afterlives. So mm-hmm. it's not surprising that it shows up in the Shadowlands. but it is kind of not something we like. It, it is, it, it's sort of an, an antithetical to what we do as, as players in this game. We don't let them tell us, okay, now you're just going to be doing this all the time. Do you and think- that's one of the things that I, I thought was interesting. And also it's one of the reasons that, like, for instance, the Kyrian story is all about making them realize, oh, hey, no, this was, we, we've been messing this up forever. We've been continuously wrong this entire time, and we have to change and, and fix what we've been doing. And I think in the end, the entire Shadowlands is going to be very different. Like, a lot of the things going on there are the legacy of Zoval.
1: Do you, real, real quick, to backtrack a little bit, do you think that some of the, maybe the, because this is not the only time that I've heard that people didn't really buy into the, The afterlife shorts. I've heard this from a few people over the course of the expansion. Do you think that some of it is also just our natural inclination to like view anything that deals with afterlife or death as like antithetical to us, like just a natural visceral reaction to it in some capacity?
2: No, I don't think so. I don't think people really felt like it felt like they were dead. That's my point. It doesn't feel like they don't feel like dead people, they feel like people just being forced into jobs they don't want. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's kind of, kind of the basis for a lot of it. It, it, it. It's less, it's less spooky and more, you know. Hey, Garona, here's a job. You know, but I don't know how to do that job. We don't care. Do it. Or, or like in the case of the Ursoc one, the Ursoc one is the closest to actually having an elegiac moment in it because there's an actual finality in it. There's no finality in the other stuff. Sure, Uther's dead, but so what? He's walking around, he's talking, he's explaining his situation, he gets revenge on Arthas. I mean, there's nothing about being dead. It doesn't really come up. It, it doesn't really feel like it's it's intrinsic to it, you know? And for all that Uther has been dead for like a, a long time from our perspective, he's just died in the Shadowlands when we see him. Yeah, as far as he's concerned, concerned, there's no time has passed. So there's no real we don't get to meet an Uther who's had a decade to deal with what happened to him. You know, he's not coming to us as a guide. I think a lot of people expected these characters to show up and be like, you know, you know, our, our means in. And instead, they're just as lost and confused as we are. So I think those two things had an effect. I don't think it's th- those were bad shorts at all.
1: I don't um, think they were bad at all and I want to make sure that's but, perfectly clear. Yeah, I don't yeah, think they're no, bad. I,
2: but I do understand that some people were expecting something else. The, the the difficulty with a with a expansion like this is that the the messaging is very hard to nail exactly right. And if you don't get it exactly right, if you don't get that balance, in fact, I'm just going to say this. There's no way to please everyone and I think a lot of people They wanted an expansion that felt like a spooky, you know, like just, you know, it's about death. So everything should be spooky, but it isn't about death that way. It's about another realm of existence. The the Shadowlands are beyond a veil of death, but they're not necessarily lands of death.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, you died to get there, but now you're there. Um, So I feel like that kind of idea has an impact on how these things present to us. And, and I think that there's a lot of delayed payoff. A lot of those shorts set up a situation. That's not going to get resolved until you play the game for a significant amount of time. Like everything we see in the, um, the Ursoc short, all the, the anima drought, the, the difficulties that they're having in, in uh, Oh, body heck what Ardenweald, the difficulties are having in Ardenwield doesn't get resolved until you like hit max level and go through a long campaign. Like so, you don't see the payoff. You know what I mean? You just see the setup. And I know that that's what they did with other stuff
1: too. Like for instance, the
2: Warbringer shorts. But the Warbringer shorts,
1: I mean, they had a sense. The Warbringer shorts had a little bit more of a sense of resolution to some of them. Like especially with like,
2: yeah, with especially Jaina, the, right. Yeah, the Jaina one absolutely comes to a resolution. You are this the, the 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 Warbringer shorts. The Jaina one in particular. The Jaina one shows you how she got to the point that you are going to meet her in
1: mm-hmm.
2: and how you know how the, the way she made the decision to commit to this um the the uh ashara short is literally okay we've heard about what happened to her but now you're going to see it this is what happened this is how she got to this point point. Mm-hmm. And, and the uh the sylvanas one doesn't actually come to a resolution but it shows you what she has become it gives you you know it it tells you this is who this character is. You you may have decided that this character is somebody else, and I'm not touching the whole subject of you know why did she go yeah, there. Yeah, we're
1: we're not going to go there. That's that's not
2: that's, not, that's yeah. not lore related. That's that's real world issues. But I mean, we could always talk about it on Blizzard Watch if you really wanted to. So send an email. But in terms of this for for this purpose, it's it's there to give you an idea of who you're dealing with. It, it's to let you know. I I don't. I think that the Garona short, for instance, that's exactly what it's trying to do as well. It's telling you, okay, this is who, not Garona, I keep saying Garona, but I mean Draka.
1: Draka, yep. The
2: Draka short is very much about, you know, this is who Draka is now. This is who the character you're going to meet is and what she wants and what she's doing. And I think it works on that front. But since Shadowlands isn't a story we know going in, it's not like, we we thought we knew what Battle for Azeroth was going in. And it didn't quite turn out to be what we thought it was, but we thought we knew. So they, they hit differently. Does that make sense? If you have expectations, yeah, they can be subverted. But if you don't really know what to expect, it's harder to pull off that whole thing. I think that's one of the reasons the Ursoc short works for you It's because you have expectations about Ursoc, and they're not met. Like you do not get to see anything yeah, about Ursoc. Not. You
1: know? Yeah, I think I think there's there's a lot about that. I think too is that there's. I think the other thing is that there's a lot of personal attachment to a lot of the, the things that were shown specifically in uh, the afterlife shorts. Like, I mean me with Ursoc, and, and, and I know a lot of other people felt that way about that as well. Like they, they, they definitely hit differently than the other shorts. And again, I want to make sure that I stress that I do not think that these were bad in any way, shape or form. I just think that they were, they served their purpose. They, they, and it wasn't what I think a lot of us expected. They, mm-hmm. Like Matt pointed out, and I think just to boil it down before we move on, is they were all pure setup for the game. There was no point of resolution necessary because that wasn't their intention. Their intention was to give you the framework of how each of the realms roughly works. Uh, like look at the, the, the Nathrius one, the nathrius one is just him giving a speech essentially and showing how the mechanics of Revendreth are supposed to work. Um, yeah. And then showing absolutely. you, the pro- and then showing you the problem of, Oh, look, you know, you, and they even represented a little bit differently to throw you a curveball because it's like, okay, you think that the animal shortage in Revendreth is affecting them because, the rich are hoarding, and the you know the lower tiers are the ones that are suffering for it. And while that was kind of true, it wasn't for the reason we thought. It wasn't because of the drought. It was, but it was set up to move you into that space. So we they did pay off, but they were literally the starting points of each of the covenant campaigns.
2: And there's also another element that before we move on, this is real fast, but this is very much a case where there is a lot of unreliable narrator stuff going on.
1: Yes, very much so.
2: Like the, you are not
1: meant to trust these and you still can't like even you learn that as you're going through the uh, the covenant campaigns, they themselves don't know that they can't be trusted half the time. Sorry, yep. there's, a, there's a there's a big element of that. And it, like we could talk about the covenant campaigns, but I think we've we've done a pretty good job of that. I suggest you go back and listen to some of our older episodes, but you can see some of the ones we point out like the Venthyr uh, and like Ardenwald in particular Bastion itself with them literally giving up their memories like there's a lot of a lot of stuff that that bring into question, like you know, what is their point of view, right? So, but all that to say that I think you're not alone in maybe not feeling that these were the strongest, uh, the strongest intro shorts, but that's because they weren't set up like the other ones. They did a very specific job, and they were very good at that one specific job, which was setting up everything for the covenant campaigns. All right, our next question comes from Sacre Mou, uh, who is a Toran priest. I absolutely love that name so much. Uh, is it just me, or is there a thing going on between Renathal and Denathrius? Also, it just seems odd that Renathal is a prince in a realm of eternal beings, where there's never expected to be a succession. Why would you have a prince? Um, same reason that Dracula was called the Prince of Darkness?
2: Well, I honestly think that it's, it's there's actually an interesting point here. Um, Denathrius made Renathal.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And he made him and called him Prince first among all the things he was going to make. He made him first. Yep. I mean, then he made the uh, various, uh, what do you call them? The dreadlords. The uh, Nathraeum. The Nathraeum, And, uh, you know, Denathrius, Nathraeum. So Renathal is first, followed by the Nathraeum, who eventually get themselves exiled. He thinks, you know, keep in mind, Renathal thinks of them kind of as his siblings. He does. But- if you look at their nature versus his nature, he was clearly created kind of as, like a, for lack of a better word, I don't want to say a repository, but kind of like, he's sort of a self-portrait by Denathrius. He's all the things about Denathrius that Denathrius wants to present to the world.
1: I was almost going to call him a template.
2: Yeah, but I, I would I would argue he is a very deliberately edited sketch. He is, he is this is what I'm like. This is what I want you to know about me. The Nathrezim are not that. They are what he does not want you to know about him, what he wants to keep secret, what he wants to keep hidden. Mm -hmm, You -hmm. know, the unseen guests that, that invite themselves into your, your kingdom, your world, your realm, and do his work. Um, There's actually a very interesting dichotomy in that. And the reason Renathal is a prince is to give him the stature necessary to to do that presentation when he was still loyal to denathrius renathal served as denathrius's face he's his forward-facing persona Mm -hmm. he's the person who would do all that work so that denathrius could show up um say you know say a few things be presentation like look at what happens when you go to 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 the venthyr when you go to uh i want i can't remember the name of the zone revendreth Revendreth, thank you. When you go to Revendreth, other people meet you and talk to you and deal with you until you get to a certain point where Denathria swans in, makes a few statements, and leaves. He does not stick around. He does not engage with you. He's quite frankly, he thinks he's too important for it. And, I mean, obviously also because he's, you know, involved in an evil scheme. But the way it's set up is that important visitors don't expect to have much of his time. And and that's because what the Renathal take was originally. Yeah, yeah, that's what Renathal was originally created for to to do that work, to do the day to day of running the the zone, so that Denathrius can do the stuff he wants to be doing.
1: I I agree with everything Matt's just said. I think there's also another layer to it as well. Um, Revendreth is, uh, just as a whole is gothy, sexy time sometimes. Like it just has that sort of like. Uh, gothic romantic setup when it comes to like if you've read any classic literature of like the tragic like you know oh woe is me i'm this tragic being and yet-
2: yeah literally gothic
1: horror if it, you've read yeah. it
2: that's what we're going with it. It,
1: it in those moments it's not necessarily in this case i don't think it's that renathel and dathrius have anything like going on romantically uh it's literally the relationship of a vampire lord and a vampire sire or uh, well played, essentially. So you have Denathrius, who literally made all of the Venthyr. He's the one that's made them all. And if you argue that, oh, the seven signets are the ones that actually make them, they're pieces of Denathrius. They are literally pieces of his power that he gives out in order to create more Venthyr. He created Renathal as sort of like the template of that all the other Venthyr would be created as. And as more were created, they just continue that on. They could forge them into any physical form that they wanted to. They continue this line of very pointy-teeth, long-eared, uh, pale individuals that are skinny and, and look like the classic notion of a gothic vampire. And their relationship is close because if you read if you read any like traditional vampire anything, they tend to have sort of that relationship. They tend to have a close relationship that borders on uh, abnormal or or not not I don't want to say moral because they're vampires, but like not what you would consider you know yeah there's platonic. there's paternalist
2: there's paternalistic and maternalistic overtones because one of them literally creates the other yeah but at the same time there's always there's going to be sexual overtones because that's what vampirism as a it's, story it's element. Well, yeah. Plus, I mean, if you think about the the origins of vampire myths, and I'm not going to bore you with a 300-page dissertation, but I I could. I wrote one. Um, Basically, vampirism as a story element comes from the period of time where people were coming up with consumption and wasting diseases. People would, like, die, and as they died, they would become bloodless. And in some cases, a lot of people thought consumption victims looked really beautiful because they would get a flush as they also became, you know, wasted away they'd look like a kind of pretty that, that people would notice and be like, this is really weird. That element is part of the vampire mythos, sex and death at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's, it doesn't mean that, Re- that Renathal and Donathrius are, 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 having sex. That's not the, the purpose of this relationship, but it's weird and unnatural.
1: And the, they, they, I think that's the point of it, right? It's supposed to make mm-hmm. you feel yes. uneasy.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so I would I would say that's definitely like just because you know Vin, you know the ventir and uh, uh, Revendreth are, exist to portray that vibe in World of Warcraft. Then yeah, that's absolutely there. But I don't think it's anything like. There's no canonical story element that the two of them were having a relationship. I don't think Denathrius has relationships.
1: I don't know the, his his relationship with his sword is highly suspect. The sword, but that's a different issue
2: because <laughs> well,
1: we've had knife wife. Now we have sword wife. It, I,
2: I would I would argue that Denathrius doesn't have relationships. He has things he exploits.
1: Yeah. No. One hundred percent. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think that's, I think that's the best way to approach it. And I know we talked about this a little bit on discord when we, when we had an answer for it, but I figured giving a little more complete answer was worthwhile here. It's just approach it from that particular angle. And I think it seems a little less uh, sexual and a little more classic literature. So, all right, we're going to move on to our next one, which is from Sid Marquez. Uh, What's the difference between the red and green dragon flights? Dragons have been on my mind since it seems pretty clear the next expansion is dragon themed. The red dragons protect living things and the green dragons protect nature. It seems like that's a lot of overlap. What's the distinction?
2: Because the green dragons aren't necessarily protecting nature. They are specifically tied to the Emerald Dream. And for lack of a better word, Azeroth's subconscious. I think that there's actually, there is overlap between the two. Absolutely there Mm -hmm. is. And that's intentional because, but one is dealing with conscious living things and the other is dealing with unconsciousness and life as a force. Um, If you look at the, the red dragon flight, you'll notice one thing that that's really weird and eerie about them is that they burn you and the burning is life itself.
1: Look at Boulevard.
2: Yeah, when they breathe fire on Bolvar, and he's already got—he's been hit by the plague, so he's dying. The flames sear him, and what is the exact phrase he uses? The dragon's fire seared my, sealed my fate. Yes, I mean he isn't alive anymore, but he's not dead either. He's kind of like classically undead in the sense that he is not dead, but he's not—he's not like a plagued undead person. He's—he's dead, but the flame of life keeps keeping him from going all the way
1: it's like a stasis almost
2: it's yeah it's like imagine being continuously burning and and yet renewing so that you don't burn out that's the kind of thing that the flame of life can do The flowers spring up in the wake of it mm-hmm. like so it's it is if anything it's like the red dragon are hitting you with so much life that you blow up like they they've they're like over they're overclocking you with their fire when they use their fire on you that's what they do the green dragon flight obviously they don't they don't breathe fire they breathe that kind of weird green misty thing that knocks people unconscious it's all about like there's actually like an interesting transitional element in the in the uh green dragon flight yeah yep. in that they they they're they're all about going between worlds and and there is a death element to them that i think needs to be noticed and and talked about more um just like druids have a death aspect that doesn't get mentioned a lot, um, sleep is is often called like the little death in in some languages. Like in French, it's le petit, le petit mort. Um, sleep is a is a thing you do. You you slumber, you regenerate, and that's the aspect of like the world. That's green dragons are interesting towards Ardenweald if you think about it because they yeah. I'm gonna, in fact, since you you were gonna, I'm gonna let you talk about it.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of what I think. I I understand where Sid's coming from because I think before recently the lines were maybe a little more blurred, but I think Shadowlands has helped differentiate or at least define – a little bit further what the Green Dragon flight is kind of maybe intended to do. We still don't know for sure. Um <clears throat> because we Sarah has not told us this at all. Uh but they're connected to Ardenweld. And Ardenweld by extension is connected to the dream, and the dream is connected to Azeroth as well. And going back to Ursoc, there's sort of this cycle that that was expected for Ursoc to go through, where, yes, he died, and we know that the Wild Gods die, but they come back. Same with the Loa. They die, but they come back. They, go, they die, they pass through. We've seen them in the Emerald Dream, but then they pass through to be renewed in Ardenweld. and then they get shepherded back through the Dream back to life. The green dragonflight are sort of the wardens of the Emerald Dream. They're the ones that are there to keep it and preserve it. And originally we thought that it was because it was a backup of Azeroth, but instead it's like preserving the backdoor loop from Ardenweld and actually the Shadowlands back to the prime material, for lack of a better term to call it, uh, where those those souls are able to shepherd through and come back versus the other ones that just can't.
2: If you like, um, if you're doing the Ardenweald is your campaign, it's your covenant. You, uh, you have that garden where you you actually get souls and give them enough power to to return to life. You're literally sending them from Ardenweald to the Emerald Dream. It's that transition. It's the transition between the Emerald Dream and Azeroth. The transition between the Shadowlands and Azeroth. The diff- the transition between the Emerald Dream and Ardenweald. Those transitions, those liminal spaces. Are what the Emerald Dream is all about. It's what the the Emerald Dragonflight is all about. That's what they're doing. It's what they're uh, c- concerned with. The Red Dragonflight is concerned with life as it is, mm-hmm. life as you find it, living things, uh, life, just life itself. The Emerald Dragonflight is concerned with what makes life possible. Yeah, like how do you have life? How do we get life? Where does life go? Like, when you sleep, where do you go? When you die, where do you go? The Emerald Dragonflight's about that. So there, there is overlap. There is interrelation between those. Because as we're seeing in Shadowlands, there's overlap and interrelation between those things in the Shadowlands. Ardenweald is all about that. It's, it's all about the interplay between these forces. It's about how things return. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that there's a difference between the two. But there, yeah, you're absolutely right that there's overlap.
1: Yeah and, and but I think that we've we've gotten the definition that we've been craving and we've gotten a little more knowledge too especially now that we know that there is that transition in some capacity from the shadowlands back to life and yeah so I think there there is like Matt, like Matt said not to to repeat it but yes there's overlap but they are distinct enough at this point now that I think we can finally understand how they kind of slot into the puzzle so there's definitely something there but hopefully
2: it's actually interesting to think about one thing here we know that um, the Winter Queen has a sister
1: mm-hmm. that is
2: kind of her mirror and opposite. And now we know that we, we've we always known that Ysera and Alexstraza called themselves sisters and were like they were like mirrors and opposites of each other, but we never really understood why or how and now we kind of get a sense of that. And now if anything, they're even better mirrors and opposites because Ysera is living, is existing in Ardenweald where she will be doing what she's doing there and you know meanwhile Alex is still alive mm-hmm. so she's she's doing what she's doing there, and that the two of them still have that interplay, so there it is interesting to see that that keeps coming up
1: yeah and i and it's definitely not going to be the last we see of that interaction and that interplay if anything, I think it's just it's going to I think that particular story is going to come back and maybe not necessarily as a whole expansion we still don't know for sure. Um, and nothing's been officially announced. And until then it's all speculation. Uh, but maybe we'll get more of that there, but if not, we'll definitely get more of it somewhere along the line, because even when the last time you deal with Alex Straza, it's, I have to think about this for a go. And at some point I would, I would expect them to have some sort of interaction because we know that the dragons can move between different realities. We know that they can do things that we can't do. Uh, So it's only a matter of time before they come face-to-face again and have probably a a pretty heartfelt conversation. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Our next set of questions comes from Kananga, uh, who is a Zendelary druid on Aga EU. Uh, So the first one, the light sees one true path. What happens when we frustrate that one path the light pursues? For example, Illidan did not become an avatar of the light. Was that the plan of the light, or did it recalculate the next best patch? to its goal or path to its goal, just like a GPS does. Uh, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but that, that particular, uh, Naru didn't survive. There is no recalculation necessary at that point. And Matt's brought this up before and I'll, I'll turn it over to him in a minute, but all of the light, the Naru in particular, they see things distinctly, but ne- not necessarily the same as all of the other Naru. They all seem to have their own individual agendas or goals, uh, and they all seem to fixate it on their one particular goal. Um, sometimes they'll band together. Sometimes they'll work together. But it's it's become very apparent that they are very, like, when we say that there's one true path, that when they're in their light form, yes, they pick a path, but it's not going to be the same for everyone. And so with uh, Zira, I want to say, was that the name? Yeah, the one that, that's yeah.
2: the one that interacted with Lillian
1: So when she tries to do her thing and winds up exploding afterwards... Uh, there's nothing left to recalculate. There's nobody else to pick up that banner because she's the only one trying to force that outcome. She's the only one trying to walk that particular path, or at least that specific narrow path. So there is no recalculation necessary. Um, But yeah, Matt, please, if you want to talk about the the Naru and the Light and the 1-2 Path, feel free. No, I'm good. Let's go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I think another way to look at
2: it is that each Naru... Naru like inhabit the light and the light infuses them, but they are not the light. Mm -hmm. They are independent individual beings. Uh, Each of them, the light itself as a force may have a completely impersonal view of the universe, but that's not possible for discrete separate entities. Um, So each Naru is like a prism through which the light is filtered. It's still the light coming out of it, but it's if you hold a prism up to a sunbeam, the prism refracts the sunbeam and you get different colors depending on the prism shape and how you, you interplay it with the light. That's Every Naru is like that. Every Naru is putting a bit of itself into what it's trying to do because it can't help it. It's a, it's a discrete entity. It's a separate being. Adal and Zira did not agree on what to do. Uh, and it didn't look like they were rivals or enemies. They simply each pursued a different path. Mm -hmm. Now we can talk about there's only one true path, but there's one true path, but there can be many ways to get there. Like it's, if you think of it as one destination, you can take a lot of different roads to get to that one destination, but you're both trying to go to the same place. Uh, It's, I think that is one way to look at this because there's an inherent necessary distinctiveness between all Naru that is not present in the light. The light by itself is simply a blinding, illuminating force that has, it only has one true path because it, it is c- incapable of seeing doubt or ins- uncertainty or the void. It is Those things are not part of it. We bring those things because we are not pure creatures of light. That The real secret of the void is that we are all a little... We all have shadow. We all have darkness. We all have the ability to obscure and block the light. We all create shadow by our nature. Um, but also, we all require light. We all take intake of it we all partake of it so we're beings of balance between the two but they themselves are not capable of balance so the naru are in a really interesting position in that they are so light dependent but they are also void beings they too have to find a balance and they revere the light and they want to do its will but the way they go about it is distinct for each one of them just because they are each discrete individual beings they're not a hive mind they they approach it as best they can you know it's it's one of those things there's i keep thinking back to the old uh, poem and i can never remember the name of the poet and i apologize because i've never heard the whole poem read out loud but there's the line a man's reach must exceed his grasp else what's a heaven for the naru's reach exceeds their grasp they are trying to do something that no individual naru can actually do and that doesn't bother them because they're just trying The whole point is the effort is worthwhile trying to make a better world where everybody is safe and respected and not, you know, at pawns of like a sinister force Mm -hmm. that doesn't care about living things. That's a good thing to do, whether or not you get there. There's no, if the light has one true path, it doesn't mean individual Naru know what it is. Um, Zira thought she knew what it was. Zira thought she, and it's possible that she could have pulled it off. Like, she might have convinced Illidan to go along with it if Illidan's life had been different. Um, but it, it was what it was. He made the decision he made. He might have decided not to. Like, there's what if his life had been different? What if the most recent past of his life had had not been the way it was? Mm-hmm. What if some of the things he had decided had worked out differently? We don't know who what he would have been. And that's the thing. When interacting with mortal beings, we keep seeing over and over again that mortal beings have this capacity to to surprise and befuddle cosmic forces, because cosmic forces or the beings that deal in cosmic forces keep thinking that they they know how we'll go. That you know was the 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 thing that on said about cosmically calculated odds. Like, it, to me, like the entirety of World of Warcraft is a big example of somebody turning to the to the cosmos and saying, "Don't tell me the odds."
1: Yeah, more or less,
2: and it, it is. Just like the void keeps thinking that you know it it, it you know all this you know all this stuff c- is possible, therefore you know nothing can be understood. And we're like, yeah, we don't care. We're gonna we're gonna do this thing. But what about all the other things? Well, we picked this one. We're going this way. That's something that the void can't really handle or understand. You see it over and over again. But individual old gods absolutely have specific, discrete plans, mm-hmm. even though they're saying constantly that nothing there's. Uh, With a thousand truths, but you know, you're doing this thing where you're trying to like, you know, you're doing something you're in order to act in our universe. You have to be both. You have to be able to see multiple outcomes, but pick one. Mm -hmm. This is something neither the light nor the void does. And so individual beings that, that serve those forces inherently don't live up to them because you can't just sit around and be nuts and, and have no viewpoint that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to achieve your goals. The fact, Even having goals is something that is a little bit beyond the light and the void. So it's... They, the two of them partake of each other and exist in relation to each other in ways that creates this whole thing. And the var- naru are very much part of that. So there's no... the The light doesn't have... It doesn't have this like blueprint that it thinks, like, oh, well, this didn't happen, so the great cosmic plan... That's not how the light works. The light doesn't think about what the one true path is. It simply maintains that it exists. And that you could even argue that it maintains that it is the light. The one true path is the light. Just be be like the light. Do what the light does. And you're like, um, how? The light doesn't have an answer for you because the light exists in a realm of pure itself. So... Yeah, we we live on Azeroth a world that is made up of all these different forces in contention yep. so that's that's always been my my take on that
1: uh and i believe it was uh Robert browning that you're the poet that thank, he was you. Quoting. You're thank you you're welcome you uh, but Matt is correct in in, every, in in all of that as well. It's it's more complicated than we give it credit for, I think, a limes. Your second question here uh, is going back to dragons, though, uh, is what if we have an expansion focused on the Bronze Dragonflight playing the TVA role, which is the time variance authority from the Loki TV series? Uh, we could br- we could play during the expansion multiple periods and in alternate alternative worlds, we could have the Warcraft version of the Multiverse of Madness. How would you approach such a concept in an expansion? I would be curious
2: to see um, a concept invented by Walt Simonson, who was the writer on the World of Warcraft comic that everybody seems to dislike (laughs) brought into World of Warcraft in this fashion. It would be interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys know that, but Walt Simonson came up with the time variance authority. He actually had nothing to do with Loki. It was in the fantastic four comic. Yep. Uh, And, but then again, Kang was originally an Avengers and fantastic four villain. Um, He's even supposedly descended from Reed Richards, dad. Yeah, that's one of Post- Kang's possible origins. He's, he is a descendant of the same family as Reed Richards. Uh, but that's got nothing to do with what you're asking. It's just me being the comics nerd. Uh, I'm going to let Joe go first. Uh, I have some ideas, but I want to hear what he's going to say.
1: So the interesting thing about it is, like, is we've already seen somewhat of what that could be like or what, what the vehicle of which to experience some of that is. We already have the caverns of time. We can go through multiple periods of time. We've done it. We've relived very pivotal events. We've participated in pivotal events, may, ensuring that they happen. Uh, and we've done so via the bronze dragonflight, allowing us to do so. Mount Hygel being probably one of the biggest standouts regarding that. Because at the time of it, we're showing up, and those are that period's time like that period in time. It's Warcraft 3's version of Jaina and Thrall that we are and, and Tron that we are going and helping. It's not the current version, it's us going back, making it happen. And then them remembering us later, it gets complicated because we are we are literally traveling through time. Uh, But we've already seen how that kind of thing works. Now, the alternative world thing, we've talked about this a little bit or or, or a multiverse thing. We've talked about the offshoot things. We've already experienced the warlords of Draenor. Um, which I think is a far better expansion than a lot of people still give it credit for. Uh, so much so that I'm going through uh, a, a new playthrough right now of the expansion as my alliance uh, shaman just because I haven't played it in forever and I want to get a different another look at it. It's we've already seen how that could kind of work. But the question then becomes, do you want it to be one main alternate world? Do you want a different Azeroth that you have to go through and quell and fix or or put it to a point where it can be reabsorbed into the timeline? Because that's what happens. It gets reabsorbed back into the prime, the prime timeline. Uh, or do you want something where you get little samplings of alternate different versions of different things? Do you want to see an Argus that never blew up? Where... Uh, there was never a fall of of Ardonai friends. When you have the Eridar that aren't demons, when they're what their society would look like. Yeah, I would like to see that. Uh, we've already seen Warlord or, or the Warlords of Draenor. We've seen Draenor that didn't blow up. We've seen Draenor that was vastly different than we experienced before the portals could be opened. Before it could it could be shattered. Do we want to see a, a world where the void didn't take Koresh? Maybe. I'd like to see Koresh first. We have all these different options, and they can be done in such a way that you can go and have little samplings of them. They can be this pocket dimension popped up, but it's not the real one. Go and handle it, and you can be sent to go deal with whatever is causing that to remain open, Uh, whether it's a rogue member of the infinite dragonflight keeping that timeway open or a powerful relic, which we now know that they some of them have the ability to, to do things like that nature. We know that there's tons of stuff at below Karazhan, which is another piece that's traveling through an opposite direction in time uh, that has a vault below it that is just filled with all sorts of powerful arcane things that we don't know what collection or collective things are missing. If anything, that might ha- be a way to open portals or or burrow ways into different portals of ex- or planes of existence. There's a ton of stuff going on there. And now we have the Shadowlands as well. And the Shadowlands raises a lot of questions. I I pointed out way long ago, and I bring it up every now and then, of how there's thousands of doors. We don't know where they lead. Do they all lead to the prime material plane? Or do some of them lead to alternate pocket dimensions that now a door has to exist to accommodate the dead from that pocket existence, that timeline, that alternate is that really our? is this potentially our first glimpse of a Warcraft multiverse is the infinite expanse expansive doorways that even the brokers hint at are more complicated than we have give any credit like if you go and do the the veiled market um and you go to Tazavesh and you go through and you listen to some of the dialogue and you look at some of the things there's very strong hints that it's not just them being able to go to our reality but that they're collecting things from across a a multiverse of these pocket dimensions that are now popping up because the Bronze Dragonflight currently leaving its job. So we have vehicles that we can use to get to there. It's just a question of what do they focus on. Me personally, I'd like a little sampling of multiple things because I think it would be really, really interesting to see different scenarios played out to a certain extent, kind of like the Caverns of Time. I really liked the Caverns of Time. They were small enough slices of of alternate storytelling that you got an idea of how the world felt. Uh, you got an idea of what the the main changes were and how it relayed to ours. And then you came back to our world to reset. So more Camerons of Time stuff would, along that vein would be A-OK with me. All right, I've talked a lot. Matt?
2: Uh, unfortunately for everybody, you, you almost set off my uh, why Warlords of Draenor wasn't as well received as it could have been. Rant, which is (laughs) comes down to that it didn't have a middle. Yeah, I would Um, agree. Warlords of Draenor has one of the best leveling games ever. Just it is one of the best leveling expansions that that they ever made. Um, And its first, its opening act was was pretty strong. Like the first raids, the first, you know, what's going on here, and the the campaign kind of had some problems because it was so randomized, so you you didn't know how it was going to. But but still, it was a good story. Then you get to the end of that, and then nothing. For almost a year, <clears throat> we got a patch that was here's a camera. And I mean, I selfie camera is great, but that's not like there was like, what? Where's the stuff happening? And then we got the ending actually was pretty good. Like the, 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 the end raid, the zone around it. There was a lot to do. I, it's one of my favorite end game zones. Like I, it really did set up what they did again later in Argus and I really, really liked it. I thought the uh, the the Tenan Jungle, you know, going turning into Hellfire area, that was a it was a fun end game. But then it had to last forever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, "I'm done. I'm burned out. I can't do any more of this." And I, I was like, you know, I was happily swimming around. Just the way that that zone was set up, it was exactly perfect for me. I could just go do as much as I felt like and then stop. And I was like, yeah, this is great. But I think in terms of what you're talking about, to bring it back to 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 your question. Uh, about doing a time variance authority type thing. <clears throat> I actually, if we're going to do time stuff, there's a TV show. I don't hear a lot of people talk about as much, certainly not as much as any of the Marvel shows, but it's, it's legends of tomorrow.
1: I was going to go Legend- sliders, but yeah, legends, of tomorrow, legends is of
2: tomorrow is one of my favorite uh, time travel shows. Cause it is completely irreverent with the concept. And I would love to see, we have spent so much time letting the Bronze Dragonflight convince us that you know we have to help them sustain the timeline. I would love an expansion where we're like, "F it! <clears throat> nope, we're breaking this. We are breaking this hard. We're going to kick the timelines in the face. We're going to like literally, there's going not going to be any order. We're going to go around and just do whatever we want." Uh, I'm not saying go infinite. I'm actually literally saying we would like whop around the universe, messing with the infinites at you know, our, in our own way because. That's one of the things about the end of the the, the hour of twilight is that the, the bronze dragonflight really shouldn't have the power to enforce rules anymore. You know what I mean? Like they, mm-hmm. that's part of what Nosedramus gave up. You know, he 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 gave up what he, they'd been entrusted with. He used it to stop Deathwing once and for all across all time and space. Um, so, and they were kind of going that way. Like there were signs that they were kind of bringing in other forces, like the the people you meet on the Timeless Isle. The idea that they're like, yeah, we the the Bronze flake doesn't really have that power anymore. Imagine if they there's an entire expansion where we're basically deputized, where they're like, you know, you we can't do this our way anymore, so now we're we're giving you what tools we can to go forth and stop all this stuff from happening. And you know, you you, you could throw in that aspect of just, you know, it's not rigid, regimented, doctrinal. It's just straight up going for it and you just show up in a place and you kick, you kick in the door and you mess up the infinites and you leave. I, I I would be totally down for that. I'd also like to see stuff that we haven't seen. Like there's a lot of stuff in Warcraft lore history that was never really been. It's just mentioned like w- at this point, we've actually kind of gotten to see a bit of the war of the ancients. We went back and, and actually saw Zinashari before mm-hmm. the destruction and all that. But what about the troll wars? I mean, all of the various troll wars, like the troll, when the trolls were fighting up against the uh, people forget that the trolls were fighting against the Chithraxi and the, the, you know, the various, um, Silithids and, and it, trolls defended and
1: I- Azeroth before anybody else did.
2: <laughs> yeah. They were fighting a war against the minions, of the old gods, the Naraki and the, um, Akir before anybody. And as a result of that war that they fought, they splintered their own empire to save the world. Mm -hmm. Like for, for all that, you know, they were doing it because they live here and they would have died if themselves, it's still true that they, they basically surrendered their, their dominance of the world and lost it to, you know, basically their own cousins in the process. Like the, the dark trolls got turned into the night elves and came up and suddenly they had a new form of power that the, uh, the trolls didn't know what to deal with. Couldn't you know? It, it what didn't involve the Loa, it didn't involve the Wild Gods. It was their own weird thing. And there's just there's tons of stuff I'd like to see. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the Troll Wars that happened when the uh, humans got involved. When the uh, the the then High Elves were like, hey, we need help. There's but there's lots and lots and lots of stuff. Thousands of years have passed. There's tons of stuff you could go see. We could go back to the Black Empire and actually see what it was like. How did they did they have an actual state? Like, if you think about it, we often talk about the old gods and their creations as corrupting Azeroth, as being corruptions of, you know, various races and beings on Azeroth. But it's also tempting to look at it from the other perspective, that physical reality corrupts the old gods.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It turns them from things of pure void into the things they are. There's a reason they always look like giant pustules and tumors, because they're forced into a physical existence that is not part. Of their nature.
1: Yeah, they're, they're <clears throat> beings of roiling chaos that are being forced to take a physical form.
2: Yeah. And th- th- there's that whole idea of the cage of fleshly existence. The, 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 just by coming here, they are diminished. They become less because they can't be all p- potentials, all possibilities. They have to pick something, they have to have some kind of discrete form. Uh, and sure, it's, 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 it's You know, you look at it like, Whoa, what's that? But from their perspective, it is so limited and small. It isn't everything at once. It's this thing. I now have a form by coming to the, to the physical world. They, they, you know, and I'd love to see that. I'd love to see us go there and deal with them. Um, There's there's so much in World of Warcraft that we could look at. I would absolutely. I don't necessarily want an expansion that's about you know picking one true timeline and going for it, as much as I'd like one that's about exploring it. Like all the stuff Joe said already. I, I don't. I don't want to repeat what Joe just said. Just like he doesn't particularly want to repeat what I just said. You guys heard it. But I think he's got an idea, like the idea of like, do you want to have an expansion that's just going to one place, or do you want to go to a lot of different places? I want to go to a lot of different places. I want to see a lot of different things. So that would be my take on it. If 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 they were going to do that, that's what I would be
1: interested in seeing. Oh, and yeah, we're on the same page there. But hopefully that answers your question regarding that. Uh, if you have uh, an opinion regarding that, I, those of you that are listening, let us know. I'd love to see. I'd love to hear what kind of expansion you'd like to, to be a part of if there was something that dealt with multiple timelines or multiple. Uh, I think we have time for one last one. And this comes from our friend Razor Bug, also known as Razor Berg. There you go. Your raid can laugh at it.
2: Oh, Berg! Uh, I thought it was Razor Bird. <laughs> I didn't know why you were calling him Razor Bird. I'm like, why is he a bird?
1: <laughs> now he's a bug, uh, or they are a bug. I don't know. I don't want to misgender. Uh, but something came to me as I visited Stromgard in the in that area as an almost exclusively Alliance player who's only ever seen us losing territory anywhere. Uh, as an NPC in the Shadowlands mentions, the Alliance has retaken Stromgarde but if you visit it, we clearly haven't. In fact, the events of BFA obviously made no in-game impact, unlike Lordaeron, which was clearly changed in-game. But I remember reading after BFA, the Alliance officially retook Stromgarde. Despite developer debt needed to reflect that, I can sympathize with. So I was wondering if you think we might see a future expansion with the Human Kingdoms restored, but a new conflict between Stormwind, Ironforge, Gnomeregan, Belfs, uh, versus uh, Lordaeron, Gilnaeus, and Night Elves, with the Horde called in by both sides. Player's choice, maybe. Opening up with mechanics for cross-fraction group, PvP, and even a civil war in the Horde to match. Uh, the guilt or not of Sylvanas could feed into this potentially. Thanks for always. Uh, thanks always for your wonderful amusing. Uh, maybe. <laughs> There's a case for it where the Alliance have been, at least canonically, acknowledged to be regaining. Uh, land that was theirs. And I personally would love to see some of that actually come to fruition. I would like to see maybe Loteron gets fumigated or they figure out how to do it and they take it back and they reestablish that and start recultivating land. We know that they can do that already. anderal has already proven to us that they can. They can bring the life back to the land. Uh there's capability there and now they have access to things that they didn't have back then. Like they have access to the tide sages and uh, magics from uh the, the thorn speakers that they didn't have before that they can call in to help cultivate that land and purge it of the poison and purge it of its its sort of like desiccated nature and bring back some of the human lands. Uh Stromguard is another great example of something that they could spend the time to rebuild where they now have literally access to uh tons of shaman that live in deep places that are are their main goal is to access rock and stone and molten magma And can sit there and go, yeah, we can just go ahead and ask the stone to be the form we need to rebuild these walls and castle. Give us like a week. Uh, I'd like to see that sort of transition because I think the humans have been sort of on the back foot for a long while. uh, Ever since Warcraft 3 for sure. And they really haven't gotten much better throughout the history of World of Warcraft. I mean, heck, even Stormwind had to be rebuilt during World of Warcraft. Like it had to be redone because, well, Deathwing. So I'd love to see them have some of that where the humans can actually have their, their kingdoms back. We can find the heirs. I think, Matt, you pointed this out. I want to say, like, last year that there's still some heirs uh, potentially laying around or pretend, that might potentially be out there for some of the the kingdoms. Which, so I'm going to shut up and let you talk about it. Um,
2: I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. Obviously, for instance, uh, Kulteris has them. We we don't know, if, like, for Alterac, it, the Paranoid line seems to be there's, like, one guy left. Um, I have no idea if they would ever like put him back in, um, but we've got Danath. Uh, Danath's still alive, mm-hmm. so th- there's Trollbane. There's a Trollbane heir, for that matter. Uh, Thorias Thur- is alive, sort of. I mean, he's dead, but he's moving. Um, <laughs> you know, i like that. He's dead, but still moving. Uh, so, I mean, that would be kind of amusing if if the two of them went back. The thing is about Stromgarde that always interests me is that, technically speaking, we have a rebuilt Stromgarde now. In that, if you do the warfront, there's the alliance has a rebuilt strong guard that you start off in. Mm-hmm. Um, you could just put that. I don't I, again. I never want to say that would be simple. I never know how hard that would be to do. I'm not. I, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a programmer. I could not tell you for the life of me how much work it would take to put that in the game full time. But it's there. The assets exist. Um, they were created, so you could theoretically put them in the world. Uh, but I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like what I'm when I'm we we know that Gilneas Gilneas currently we know who's who would, would would take over if if it was restored we know it would be you know Gen and his family his daughter um we so you know obviously the the heirs to Stormguard though it's a really complicated issue because whilst there's like I said Danath and his family exist the people of Stormwind originally descend from people who left Arathor mm-hmm. uh they they and they, they were the the line of the original kings, um, whose names are completely forgetting me. But the ones who built the you know the wall and so forth. The one who had Stromkar. My God, why can I not remember his name? It wasn't Trollbane. It was the the line before them. But regardless, that that line exists. The Arathi descendants still exists in Stormwind. Uh, it might very well exist in Anduin Rin. if he is if Anduin Rin is in fact related to um anduin lothar which he might be if varian's mother was the sister of anduin lothar which in the movie they are in in the warcraft movie varia varian's mother is anduin lothar's sister we do not know if that's true in the game or not i don't think they've ever actually come right i've never
1: they've never they've never clarified so there's room if they could do that
2: yeah they could do that if they did that then anduin anduin uh Rin would be of that bloodline. He would be of the, the, the original Arathi Kings. He would be a descendant of this just like Lothar was Um, the high elves believe their debt is discharged. So that wouldn't matter for that. The, the high elves slash blood elves would no longer come when, when they call that's, that that's not the, that's not the issue, but they'd still be the, the monarchs of the original human empire by, by blood descent. Mm Mm-hmm. Technically speaking, the 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 Rin Kings at this point, Varian and his son would have the 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 theoretical right to rule all human kingdoms. Um, whether or not all the other human kingdoms would accept that, eh, but they definitely would be able to go up. They could make a claim for Stromgarde. Absolutely, no problem because it's it's theirs by descent. So yeah, that that'd be something you could you could do as well. But I, I don't. I don't know. I I don't know if they're going to do anything with it. They're going to go back. I keep thinking about Cataclysm, and for a long time, the Cataclysm was this big boogeyman that everybody was like, we don't want to do that again. But Cataclysm came out in 2011.
1: There's also a difference between completely rewriting the entire world and blowing it up and rebuilding it, which I think players have been asking for for a while. Change is okay. It's just, how do you go about that change? And I think bringing back the the seven kingdoms in such a way that they're represented I think players would be okay with especially those that are human players like bringing back uh for the se- the seven kingdoms for those of you that may not know you have Alterac, Dalaran Gilneas Tiras, Lordaeron, Stormwind and Stromgarde. um Dalaran obviously is a floating city now and it can go wherever the heck it wants um we already have Cultiris Tiras now has leadership again Gilneas exists they could at this point Go back to being Gilneas after things settle down, or at least that's the hope. Um, Alterek is still there. Uh, Loneron is, is, is technically has an heir that's still functional. Oh, uh,
2: Thoradin, by the way.
1: Thoradin, okay. King Thoradin is king the Thoradin. first king
2: of Arathor, and he's the ancestor of Anduin Lothar, and potentially through him, Anduin Rin and you know that whole line. Okay, so yeah, that's that's one of the interesting things about what you're talking about too, though, like that idea that those many of those kingdoms are still there. Like, Dalaran's yeah. floating around right now.
1: Lordaeron's uh, yeah. the only wild card, but again, we have... It, it physically is there, and Kalia is still technically alive. Like, it gets oh, yeah, complicated. yeah, but moving. Yeah. <laughs> it, it gets complicated, but they could do some interesting stuff with that, and that right there could be an interesting conflict. Like, if Lordaeron's... Hold on, re- hold, hold on,
2: hold on, hold on. We know that the game is getting cross-faction. Yes. There is nothing stopping them... From you know keeping factions, but actually doing a thing where the Forsaken and hum- living humans both have quarters inside, inside Undercity, yeah, inside of Lordaeron. Maybe the the Forsaken can go back into Undercity you, and they can have it. You hit right they, where I
1: was going, man. I love yeah, it. Yeah,
2: like because you could you could totally have like Kalia as this representative who who like sort of leads the whole place, and you'd have living and undead people both existing there. Yeah, you could. There's nothing stopping them at this point. And
1: we've already had it established. If you go back to the the books that we've had over the course of like the several years before uh, before the storm, like it literally talks about how there are people that would do this. They would want to yeah. be with their loved ones again. The Desolate uh,
2: Council thing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: they're they're for both factions, like for both sides. So they could do something like that and have a very complicated city state. And I think that would be cool. I think it'd be interesting. And like Matt pointed out, and and I was going to go there too. It's it's this wonderful like using of, hey, we're gonna add cross faction. Here's how we show it in game. Here's a physical representation of how things are now. And I would be all about that. So there are ways that they could do it, and I really hope that they do at some point because again, I like the human kingdoms. I think that it would be really, really neat uh to have them have some development and growth and and start time in this time in this, uh, the stories to shine, especially with the way the story is going and seeming like the Alliance as a whole is on tenuous ties with each other to begin with, where some of them might be walking away from it or may not become to their, their beck and call of their, their supporters looking at you, night elves, you got done wrong. Yeah. With even with everything that happened, I can totally see them saying, yeah, we're going to go do our own thing for a while. Like they have these opportunities. Elves are another great example of a, of a faction that could, uh, benefit from this in the long term because if they're settling in Hygel, who says that they're with everything that they've gone through, that it's just going to be just night elves. There are other elves out there. Maybe they don't agree with what happened with the horde. Maybe they're looking to leave or or whatever the court the case is. We could have some really complicated and really interesting storytelling and I'm here for it if it happens. Uh any parting thoughts, Matt?
2: I think in general, um one of the things I'd like to see is going forward, I want to see stuff incorporated more into the story of the game. Like, not just exist, yeah. but yeah. actually incorporate it into the story of the game. But I do understand that there are limits to what they can and can't. Like, they don't have limitless resources. Mm-hmm. This is not a, you know, they can't just do every cool idea they have. So I'm, I'm not impatient with them that they haven't, like, you know, flipped the world around so it's clear who owns what. For one thing, they may not really, they don't have a story to tell about it yet. So they haven't put stuff in to to set up the story they want to tell. I think that's reasonable. Uh, so I do want to, to get people to understand that you know it's not that they don't want to show you the way the world is now. It's just that well, do we have a story for it
1: as and also you technical know. debt as as razor Bug has yeah,
2: absolutely out. that's yeah. that's also true. But I also think that they're not willing to in, to go through that debt for no reason. yeah like they, if they're going to be they they're going to be dev- putting their time and effort into giving you the story they're going to tell. The, the world is it's going to be for that story. If their story is not set in those zones, then it's there there's no reason to develop them. I mean, that's just one of the ways things are. Uh we didn't get any change in Strom for years until there was a war front there. So keep in mind that, you know, stuff happens when there's a reason for it to happen. That that's that'd be the only thing I can think to say right
1: now. Yeah. And th- that's very good points. Uh but hopefully uh, from a, a pie in the sky sort of, of wish list, hopefully we will see something that will uh, advance some of that a long time maybe they'll, they'll hopefully see some interesting story that actually drives back into it um, because again I I really like this idea and I might latch onto this a bit and I apologize but I like this idea that we're we might potentially be entering a phase of rebuilding and some of the things that I'm hearing from some of the interviews and, and things like that make me feel like that is something that could potentially be more likely than not where we're looking at home finally again and yes we have threats to deal with elsewhere maybe or whatever but we're actually starting to look at what do we need to do here and we've been asking for that for a while i know matt and i have been asking for that for a while and it feels like we might start getting that and these are good opportunities to start tying up some of those loose ends so but with all that said folks blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com blizzard watch your continued support means this podcast lighting and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an answering site experience. And as always, uh, just a reminder that those of us at Blizzard Watch stand with those in the game industry that are working towards a better tomorrow, demanding better treatment, uh, and working towards unionization, including those at Activision, Blizzard King, uh, and everywhere else. Uh, but with that, folks, we'll see you next week.